0: Is it possible for the United States to provide health care coverage to all Americans and at what cost? You are listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment on public policy. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Kenneth Thorpe, Woodruff Professor and Chair of Health Policy and Management. Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University. He has held many leadership roles in public policy, including Professor of Health Policy and Director, Institute for Health Services Research, and Deputy Assistant Secretary for Health Policy in the United States Department of Health and Human Services. Dr. Thorpe has authored and co authored over 60 articles, book chapters, and books, and is a frequent national presenter on issues of health care financing insurance, and healthcare reform. Welcome, Dr. Thorpe.
1: Well, thanks for having me on.
0: Today we are discussing public policy and healthcare coverage. Dr. Thorpe, recently there was a movie by Michael Moore, which opened people's eyes as to what is the state of healthcare coverage in the United States today. What is the healthcare coverage in the United States, sir?
1: Well, it's spotty you know, we have about 250 million Americans that have some form of either public coverage through Medicare or Medicaid or private health insurance. But that leaves about 45 million Americans that have no insurance on a typical week. Some of those individuals are insured throughout the year. They are insured, you know, for many, many months. Others are uninsured for short times as they lose their jobs and with it, they lose their health insurance coverage. So, you know, we are one of the only countries in the world that has 15% of the population at any point in time that doesn't have health insurance coverage.
0: Do you think we could do something about that?
1: Well, of course we could. It's a matter of priorities. Uh, It's a matter of leadership. To date, at least, we haven't had leadership at the federal level interested in making substantial strides at reducing the number of uninsured and, at the same time, uh, trying to make health care more affordable. And I think what you're seeing is a lot of anxiety out there among employers Healthcare care providers, workers, and governors. And ironically, the real leaders on health care reform are coming from the states. Uh, they're not waiting for the federal government to try to coalesce around an approach for doing this. Several states right now are in the process of expanding health insurance coverage to individuals in their state that don't have it today.
0: Well, then should the states really take over the coverage in their own states as opposed to depending on the federal government?
1: Well, I think the dilemma is, is that uh, expanding coverage... Is going to require an infusion of new public money. The dilemma is, is that probably about two thirds of people who don't have health insurance coverage live in families under thirty or forty thousand dollars a year in income. And you know, a typical profile of that person would be uh, somebody working for a small business of five or ten, whose employer uh, does not offer health insurance coverage. And you know, the average cost of a family policy is uh, probably about twelve thousand dollars a year. so for that $30,000 a year family, they obviously can't afford a $12,000 a year policy. So, you know, if we are going to make substantial progress here, we're going to need to have new public monies. The states that are out in front in this uh, are the ones that have relatively low numbers of uninsured. uh, And two, that the federal government is already pumping in substantial amounts of money through the Medicaid program in order to substitute uncompensated care that hospitals and physicians provide. So... Massachusetts has led the way on this with a universal coverage bill. They did not require substantial new state money to do this because they just redirected existing federal funds in order to provide assistance for low-income people to buy coverage. But other states aren't in that situation. The distribution of federal dollars to support the uninsured is incredibly uneven. So while some states could afford to do this, many other states couldn't.
0: Well, doesn't it make it very difficult if each state has their own particular policy?
1: Well, I mean, that's sort of the downside of it as well. And certainly, if I'm a, a national employer, that would be very difficult trying to manage benefits across 50 states if there are 50 different uh, rules and regulations and health plans. I think what you've seen on the Democratic side, at least from the presidential uh, health care proposals, are national proposals that are all built on private health insurance but you know, would have some level of uniformity across the country. So, for example, Senator Clinton's plan would basically open up uh, the health care plans that the members of Congress and federal workers have to individuals uh, whose employers don't offer coverage and who are uninsured, building on an existing system. And that would provide an opportunity for people to choose plans as generous as, you know, essentially a fee-for-service plans to ones that are more restrictive, like uh, health savings accounts and everything in between. But at least they would be similar choices throughout the country.
0: If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment on public policy on ReachMD XM 157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Kenneth Thorpe, Woodruff professor and chair of health policy and management, Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University. Today we are discussing public policy and health care coverage, Dr. Thorpe, what can we do with so many people who cannot afford any type of health insurance?
1: The typical profile there is a single male or a single female. It could be uh, in their late 50s. They have perhaps uh, working as, as a self-employed entrepreneur. And depending on the state they live, I uh, find it very difficult to buy a health insurance policy that's affordable. So again, I think if we are going to move towards universal coverage, we have to recognize that while national health care spending may not rise very much, if at all, we are going to need an infusion of new public money, largely federal, to do this and provide financial assistance to make health insurance more affordable so that people can buy it. Those are going to be the fiscal priorities in terms of this upcoming election is, yes, there's plenty of money in the, in the federal budget to do this. Uh, it's going to be a matter of, you know, how do we prioritize where we spend our money how much for tax cuts, how much for Iraq, how much for other types of domestic programs, and how much for health care.
0: How can we have a universal health care program when there is such heterogeneity among the insurance programs, that being Medicaid, Medicare, indemnity insurance, managed care, individual policies, and group policies?
1: Well, I think when people are talking about universal coverage, at least, you know, today, other than Mr. Kucinich, who is truly talking about a, a single-payer plan, perhaps something like Medicare for everybody. All the other proposals, Democratic and Republican, are talking about building on the existing system that we have is with all the flaws built into it, but making sure that people are guaranteed a certain level of coverage. And then people can choose within the current range of health plans that are out there. So a minute ago, I talked about the Federal Employees Health Benefit Program. You know, depending on where you live, you could have a choice of Five, ten, fifteen 10, 15 different health plans. Some would be uh, very, very expansive. Some would be more restrictive. So, you know, that type of choice uh, to many Americans would be appealing because you would be able to select a plan that best meets your personal needs.
0: Do you think that there really should be a choice or should there be one policy and program for everyone?
1: Well, I think there should be a choice. I think, you know, politically, there's no way that's we're going to move to a system of one plan. If you think about it, there are about 200 million Americans that have private health insurance. And if you move to one plan, that would mean that you know, 100 million people would get worse benefits and 100 million people would get better benefits if you pick sort of an average typical plan. And the political opposition for making that type of a you know, fairly radical transition would be very substantial.
0: Dr. Thorpe, what do you think about the other countries, what their health plans are like?
1: Well, I think depending on the country that you're talking about, there are a variety of European countries that build their systems on the private insurance. You know, examples would be the Dutch system, uh, the German system with their sickness funds, the Swiss system. You know, all have universal programs; everybody's covered, and everybody contributes uh, either through a, a tax-funded system or through employer and employee contributions you know, those systems are are quite effective. Uh, They deliver high-quality care. They provide good outcomes. They have very well-established primary care systems. I mean, one of the advantages of several of these European countries is that their primary health care systems are much better than the primary health care system that we have here in the United States.
0: But why are they always discussed in such negative ways when this topic comes up?
1: Well, I mean, I think what happens, again, you get to the politics of health care financing reform. That's systems are lumped in as as one universal system. And, you know, the fact is, is that there's incredible diversity among the Canadian, the British system, and European systems, and they differ quite dramatically. I mean, the the politics are is to try to caricature universal systems as being a monolith and a monolith being a government-financed, government-run system with, you know, very effective budgets. You know, some plans and some programs are run that way the British system is more of a budgeted system. Uh, The Canadian system is more along that lines as well. But these other countries I've just mentioned uh, really depend on competing private health plans that really aren't budgeted and don't have the types of of queues and waiting lines that are typically highlighted when people talk about government-run systems. So it's, it's the politics of this. Again, at least in the current healthcare debate outside of Mr. Kucinich, nobody is proposing anything like a government-run system. So I've always thought that the caricature of this in the presidential politics is somewhat moot because there's not a proposal on the table that would do that.
0: Well, how do you think that we got here compared to all the other countries?
1: Well, I mean, we got here because, you know, we have a tradition of voluntary health insurance. I think there is more of a social ethic of individualism and a suspicion of large government funding. If you look at the European systems, there's more of a social fabric on solidarity and making sure that on many social issues that everybody is in the system with some minimum basic set of benefits, you know, with the opportunity to buy enhanced benefits if you want. So some of it is just the differences in the philosophy about individualism versus, you know, solidarity and and group plans. Some of it is, at least in the United States, over the last 13 years, really a lack of leadership to try to build broad-based coalitions to chip away at this problem.
0: And finally, looking in your crystal ball for the next five years or ten years, what do you think is going to happen?
1: Well, it's going to depend on what happens in the 2008 presidential elections and what happens in the congressional elections. If a Democrat is elected and if the Democrats pick up a substantial number of seats in the House, I think the prospects for reform are very positive. But I think any Democratic president is going to have to go after a reform proposal quite differently than it was done in 1993. I think most of them have learned, you know, some valuable lessons about how to work with the Congress work with the public and how to build consensus around key interest groups, business, labor and health care provider groups to try to approach this problem differently. I think if it doesn't go that direction, you know, if there's not enough congressional support, if a Republican wins, yes, I think there will certainly be talk about health care reform, and, and there will probably be some activity, but I think it will be more incremental.
0: I want to thank Dr. Kenneth Thorpe, who has been our guest. We have been discussing public policy, specifically health care coverage. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.